Well, this evening, our catechism lesson brings us to Lord's Day 18, where we speak not of Jesus coming down, but of Jesus returning to heaven, which is a wonderful perspective for us. As we've been celebrating Christmas and Christ's coming, we think also of how he returned. As we prepare to do that, I'd like to read with you from the end of Luke 24, starting in verse 36. Luke 24, starting in verse 36. And so we come upon the disciples gathered together in Jerusalem discussing how Peter and the, the, the women at the tomb saw Jesus, how the two disciples on their way to Emmaus had encountered him, and as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending, you, sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. Amen. Now, Lord's Day 18 of our Catechism asks us four questions. The first is, what do you mean by saying he ascended to heaven? And the answer is that Christ, while his disciples watched, was taken up from the earth into heaven and remains there on our behalf until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. But isn't Christ with us until the end of the world as he promised us? Christ is true man and true God. In his human nature, Christ is not now on earth, but in his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. If his humanity is not present, wherever his divinity is, then aren't the two natures of Christ separated from each other? Certainly not. Since divinity is not limited and is present everywhere, it is evident that Christ's divinity is surely beyond the bounds of the humanity that he has taken on. But at the same time, his divinity is in and remains personally united to his humanity. How does Christ's ascension to heaven benefit us? Three things. First, 
He is our advocate in heaven in the presence of his Father. Second, we have our own flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that Christ our head will also take us, his members, up to himself. And third, he sends his Spirit to us on earth as a corresponding pledge. By the Spirit's power, we seek not earthly things, but the things above where Christ is, sitting at God's right hand. Amen. Beloved disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, when Jesus ascended into heaven, how significant an event was that? I mean, not everything in Jesus' earthly life had the exact same significance. His conception, his birth, those were huge. Obviously, the cross had a significance that cannot be overstated. However, there are countless details about his life that were relatively insignificant. The first words he spoke as a child, they're not recorded. We didn't need to know that. What particular tools he may have possessed and when he learned to use them. The particular route he typically took in traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem. It would be fascinating to know some of those details and yet they bear little significance for understanding who he was and why he came. So in that light, how important was the ascension? Was it essential to the work that Jesus came to do? Or was it just a detail? As a young man, I probably would have... Not probably, I would have said the latter. It's just a detail. What's important is what he did here on earth. What's important is what he did at the cross and the the empty tomb. That's important. His second coming is important. His ascension, just a a detail. But our catechism reminds us that that is not, in fact, the case. That in truth, Jesus' ascension was absolutely essential to his mission. And because he did ascend to heaven, he has become today for us the source of immense blessing. It is not incorrect to say that his ascension was one of the great gifts that God gave to us. And so that's what we need to consider this evening. How is Jesus' ascension one of the gifts that he gave to us? How is his ascension part of the comfort that we today receive? God the Son ascended to heaven to bless his disciples here on earth. That's our theme. God the Son ascended to heaven in order to bless his disciples on earth. And there's three reasons, as our catechism lesson showed us, three reasons that we find ourselves blessed or ways in which we find ourselves blessed by his ascension. The first of which is that he is in heaven a true man to intercede for us. Children, understand, Jesus in heaven He isn't just killing time up there. He's not just sitting there bored, waiting for the important stuff. Waiting until he can return. Waiting until he can make all things new. He's not up there just doing Sudokus and jigsaw puzzles, waiting until the time arrives. Right? He's there for a reason. And he's very active in heaven on our behalf. Our catechism points out that he is interceding for us. Interceding means that you're praying for the needs of someone else. That's what we do in our congregational prayer when we lift up to God those people who are 
in need of particular help, of particular care. When we ask Him to give them healing or comfort or help in some way, we're interceding for them. And that's what Jesus is doing in heaven for us. Our catechism says He pleads our cause in heaven in the presence of His Father. In other words, Jesus is speaking to His heavenly Father, reminding the Father, that one is mine. That's one of my brothers. That's my sister. That's one of the ones for whom I died. Pointing out to the Father the provision, the help, the hope that we need in this particular moment, in this particular situation. Urging the Father to turn this this situation that looks so hard, that looks so painful, that looks so hopeless, in a way that will fill us with hope and help and strength. And his intercession is absolutely constant. Hebrews 7 verse 25 says, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's always making intercession for us. He doesn't take any days off. He doesn't take a pause. There's no point at which Jesus goes, I forgot to pray for George. He's always focused on us, always attending to our needs, bringing those before the Father. And He is uniquely qualified to do that. He's qualified because He's one of us. Not sinful like we are, but a man like us, a person like us, with all that that entails. That means Jesus understands what it's like for us To live in this fallen world. He understands the challenges and the struggles that we constantly face. He understands the disappointments and the pain that we endure. He knows what it's like to be misunderstood. He grasps what it's like to be betrayed by those who are close to us. He gets how sometimes it feels like the the clouds lower and the darkness fills our vision. He grasps how painful and how trying those temptations can be when they seem to surround you on every side. The fears that so easily afflict you, all of that. He gets it. He gets it. He knows your need for physical provision. How some of you who were so carefree in your youth Find yourselves lying awake at night thinking about how fragile your position at work is or how large those bills are looming or how terrible this economic downturn might be. He knows your physical needs, also your your spiritual needs, your emotional needs. He knows the doubts with which you're wrestling. He knows about all those naysayers around you. He knows about all the prayers you prayed that you feel like... God hasn't answered. He understands how hopeless it can feel when the darkness of depression seems to fall over your life or when anxiety seems to choke the very breath from your lungs. He gets it. He knows. He understands better than the best counselor on earth. He also understands the enemies that confront you. Those folks that position themselves as friends, but then, but then in your moment of need, they turn your need against you and they betray you or they gossip about you to other people or, or when you're about to really rest on them, really to, to seek their help, they're gone. They're not there at all. 
He knows the bitter disappointments we sometimes feel. He knows about our old natures. That's one that he didn't personally experience, but he was surrounded by it. He gets how quickly, how easily we betray ourselves, lie to ourselves, deceive ourselves into following the path of the old man. Jesus understands absolutely everything about us, and along with that, he has access to God. As the eternal God, he has access to heaven, the likes of which we can't even fathom. And although he is a man, Jesus is perfectly, completely holy, unstained by any sin. He's able to enter fully, completely into the presence of the Father, and to do so as the triumphant one as the one who perfectly fulfilled the calling that God laid upon him for which he was born of Mary. He did everything that the Father commanded. That's what he said so many times to his disciples. I have come not to do my will, but the will of my Father in heaven. And when he finished, when he went to the cross, he had done every single detail of every single task. God the Father meeting with him and three of the disciples on the mountain, said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus was warmly welcomed into heaven by his father as the one who accomplished it all, who triumphed over it all. And therefore he is perfectly qualified to come to the father on our behalf. It should blow us away that there are people who seek mediators other than Christ to intercede for them. Why would you go to Mary? Why would you go to St. Christopher or St. Jude? That's ridiculous. That's like, that's like having a free pass into the Oval Office and saying, nah, I'd rather talk to this guard who's standing on the sidewalk. He's the one who's seated at the right hand of the Father who understands us better than we understand ourselves. And we need the intercession that he's able to bring those needs that we have for physical provision and emotional encouragement, for spiritual comfort and for protection, those needs are real. And we are absolutely insufficient to meet them on our own. We're too weak to do what needs to be done. We're too foolish to understand what needs to be done. We're too small. And no one else is better off. Everyone is in the same boat. Only God can meet our needs and he's willing if someone asks. And that's what Jesus is doing. What a comfort that is. There are times, there are times every one of us has no idea what we need. No idea what the best way out of this situation is. No way to see light at the end of the tunnel. Jesus knows exactly what you need, when you need it, how you need it, and from whom. And he's already asking the Father to provide it. What a comfort that is. Those times when you don't even know what to pray. Those times when you can't even bring yourself to look up to heaven. Jesus is already there. He's already on his knees beside the Father praying on your behalf. What a comfort that is. What an immense gift. Those times when you're in such danger and you don't even see it until after the fact. You've had that, right? When that sliding truck slides right past you and you go, wait, what just happened? Jesus was already praying for your safety. 
He was already seeking your help, your strength, when that person was coming to you with that temptation. When you were at the very, very bottom and you couldn't see it was so dark, He was praying to lift you up, to shine that light. He is able and He's doing it. What a comfort that is. He ascended for that purpose. And more than that, in His ascension is the guarantee of our ascension. That's the second point we see in this part of our catechism. In ascending, Jesus showed himself to be a trustworthy head to prepare for us. To understand that, we need to hear what he said just before he went to the cross in John 14. Having celebrated the Passover and the first Lord's Supper with his disciples, sitting at the table with them, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. This is John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now understand the promise that Jesus is making there. He's saying very soon, he's going to go away, but his departure is for their good. He wanted them to know, I'm going to heaven, I'm going to my Father's house, and where I'm going, there's room for all of you. There's room for all who will ever serve me. It's a glorious mansion, the likes of which you can't even fathom. And I'm going there to prepare the place for you. Kids, some of you have family staying that are are distant, and your, your parents, especially mom, you know, going and preparing everything, making sure everything's just right, making sure the bathrooms are clean, the food's all prepared, the beds have new linens, right? Jesus says he, he was going to go to prepare a place for us so that everything would be just right, so that everything would be perfectly suited for our arrival. But then he gives this promise, this condition that would serve as our assurance Before he went, remember this is before he's arrested, before he's tried, before he's taken to the cross. Before any of that happens, Jesus foretells that he will ascend to heaven. That he will go. That's an event that's impossible to fake, right? That's something that's, it either happened or it didn't. You either saw it or you don't. And he gives assurance to them that is conditional. He says, if... I go and prepare a place for you, then I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you, will, you may be also. If you see me go away, if I ascend to heaven, then you can know that I will come back to take you, that I will come and get you in due time. What a glorious assurance, if they see him ascend. Well, what he promises there is a big deal. It's a big promise, and a big promise requires a big evidence. And that's what we saw in Luke 24. Jesus comes to his disciples. It's the day of resurrection. Peter saw the empty tomb. Mary encountered Jesus in the garden. Two disciples on their way to Emmaus come upon this stranger. They don't recognize him, but he opens the scriptures, explains to them from all the Old Testament why all these things had to happen, and suddenly in the breaking of bread, they grasp that it's Jesus and he departs. 
They're talking about all these things and suddenly Jesus is there in their midst. He says, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. I mean, remember, they had seen him die. And not just this nice, clean, sterile death in a hospice cottage somewhere. No, no, no. This was a wicked, violent, hard, painful, open, public death. They grieved for hours at what was happening to their, to their friend, to their brother, to their leader. They saw how he died. They saw the, the, the spear stick in his side and the blood and water come out, guaranteeing that he was dead. Now they see him? Is it any wonder that they thought they saw a spirit? And so what's he say? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me. And see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see that I have. He wants them to be confident. The guy you see in front of you, it's not an illusion, it's not a vision, it's not a ghost. It's me. The one you followed for three years. The one who worked miracles in your sight. The one whose teaching made you marvel. Touch me. Feel. And then... While they were still disbelieving for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. What a beautiful detail. Ghosts generally don't feast on fish. But there's Jesus eating some of the very fish that they ate, just as they had. He's demonstrating to them, I have, in fact, arisen from the dead. I am alive. I'm one of you. I'm the same one you walked with, talked with, learned from. And having shown them, Jesus taught them. He gave them insight into what he had done and into what they must do. And then he led them out, out into the country, away from the prying eyes of their enemies. There he blessed them, assured them of God's love and God's mercy. And then while they watched, he ascended. Their own eyes saw the one they had just touched the one who had just eaten fish before them, rose up into the air, diminished from their sight until he was hidden from a cloud. If I go to prepare a place for you, then I will come back and take you to be with me, that where I am you also may be. Do you understand how significant that is? There is a man, flesh and bone, just like us, today living in heaven. He went there to prepare a place for us. And those men, they saw it. They witnessed it. They touched him. Their own eyes beheld him until he departed behind a cloud. They had every reason to believe. And because they saw, because they recorded it, we have every reason to believe. And just as he went, so surely he will come back. We have a guarantee that he is preparing a place for us right now. That very soon he will take us to be where he is. But meanwhile, we still have work down here. But not on our own. Our last point to consider, we have in Jesus a triumphant king to equip us. Understand, to his teachers, or to to his teachers, to his disciples, the thought of Jesus' departure was traumatic. He was their leader, wasn't he? For three years, they had followed him, had gone where he went, had done what he told them to do. He was their teacher. 
He explained to them the significance and the truth of the scriptures. He allowed them to understand who God is and what he's like and what he was doing and what he called them to do. They couldn't imagine what they would do without him. And so in anticipation of his departure, in Luke 24, he showed them. Even after his ascension, Jesus would continue to teach them. For three years, he had been explaining to them the meaning and significance of the scriptures. So now, Luke shows us, Jesus, having died and arisen, continues to teach them. Verse 44, he taught them what the scriptures said about his saving work. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He didn't just teach them by the words that he spoke. He taught them by softening their hearts, by giving them the understanding, the comprehension that they needed. And though he's about to depart from them physically, he's doing so with the intention of continuing to teach them, continuing to instruct them, continuing to allow them to understand. Because he would send his spirit from heaven, who would instruct them from within, who would continue to mold and shape and soften their hearts. He assured them in John 14, verse 26, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus would continue to teach them even though He was going to heaven. And in fact, the way in which He would teach them couldn't happen unless He went and asked the Father to send the Spirit. And in like manner, He would continue to lead them. Again, Luke 24, Jesus explains why everything had to happen the way that it did. And he instructs them, you're witnesses of these things. That's their new calling. Lord willing, we'll talk about that a bit more on Old Year's Eve, or New Year's Eve, Old Year's service. Their calling is not just to wait. Our calling is not just to wait. It's to continue the work of building the kingdom. And how do we do that? We do that as witnesses. We do that by testifying to what Jesus has taught us. We do that by calling all the world to become His disciples. But we don't do it on our own. We do it by the power that He gives us. Verse 49 of Luke 24. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus He's not just giving them a pep talk. He's promising that he will put his own power within them, his own strength within them. And though he is physically absent from them, his power will dwell within them and will continue with them. Again, from John 14. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit whom Jesus and the Father sent. He would be the one who would interpret to the disciples the meaning and application of Scripture. He's the one who would guide them to know what they must do and how they must do it. He's the one who would empower them to carry out that work to which they were now called. And never would he depart from them. In fact, in fact, Jesus says to them, He dwells with you and He will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In the coming of the Spirit, Jesus himself comes to us. And never is there a time that, we're abs- that he's absent from us if we have the Spirit dwelling in us. And that means, brothers and sisters, that Jesus continues to teach, 
to lead, to empower us today. It's through the Holy Spirit that we're able to study and understand this word that teaches us who God is and who we are and what we're called to do. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit that those callings to make disciples of the nations and to exercise dominion over the creation. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit that we understand how that applies to our lives, to our work, to our opportunities. It's through the power that the Holy Spirit gives us that we have the courage and the strength and the efficiency to be able to do what He commands us to do. You see, God continues to work in us And that couldn't have happened if Jesus hadn't ascended. And together with the Father sent the Spirit to dwell among us. Understand well, my friends. This is the fruit of the greatest Christmas gift ever given. God the Father sent His Son to accomplish forgiveness for our sins, to reconcile us unto peace with Himself, to give us life eternal, but also... Having accomplished all of that, he promised that he would be our representative in heaven. That he would seek from the Father every single thing we need every single day in every single circumstance. That he would give us assurance that one day soon we will leave behind this world of sin and brokenness and enter into the glory of heaven. And until then, he would empower us, he would lead us, he would teach us the way that we must go so that we can glorify him, so that we can serve our heavenly king. None of that could happen without his ascension. But because he ascended, it's all ours. So understand that. Expect that help that he sends from heaven and rejoice because we're not alone. We're not on our own. We're not left to our own devices or our own strength. So many times we face situations that are way beyond us. Every one of us. We look at situations that we can't fix We look at hardships that we don't have the wisdom for. Trials that we don't have the strength for, but He does. He's praying for us. He's working through us. And we can trust Him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we so desperately need what Jesus provides for us and has been ever since his ascension. We pray, Father, that you would teach us to trust in him at every point for every need. And we ask, Lord, that you would use the power that he gives us to enable us to bring you the glory and the praise and the honor that you deserve, for you do deserve it. We are so thankful that you have provided for us all that Jesus gives us in, the, in His ascension. As we go forth from this place, as we enter into the final work week of this year, we pray that you would help us to be aware of the rich blessings we have that Jesus provided through His ascension. 
And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, in response, let's stand and sing together number 371. Number 371, Hail the Day That Sees Him Rise.